Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm with you. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky in the studio in Jackson. Brian Haydad is in Starkville. Brian Scott Rippey is with me here in Oxford. We're at Swayze Field. Haydad will be headed over to Duty Noble a little bit later tonight, and then he's hanging out at a barbecue trailer for the rest of the night as well. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Got the Masters going on right now. You can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. That's the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. After shooting a 67 today, a 5-under-67, Francesco Molinari is tied for the lead at 7-under-par. Also a 67 for Jason Day. He was 5-under on his round, so those two guys tied at the top of the leaderboard at 7-under. Dustin Johnson follows up yesterday's 68 with a 70, and he is 6-under par. One shot off the lead. Brooks Kepka still on the course. He had the lead going into today. Is that right? He was tied for the lead? Had the overnight lead? Yeah, he and DeChambeau. That's right. Uh, Kepka. Even through 17 today, so still sitting at six under par. A little bit different story for uh, uh, Rippy's boy Bryson DeChambeau. Kind of had the wheels come off the old uh, coefficient of equation, blah 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 today. What a shame! Apparently, he's been using the phrase "terminal velocity" incorrectly, and that is the happiest I've been this week. This By is the way, when you when bought he... a house, you bought a house this week. <laughs> well, but I... that is the happiest. <laughs> well, I bought a house this week, and then all the fees started coming in. So I'm just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So not real thrilled about that. But yeah, a, a a real physicist on Twitter was explaining how he's actually using the phrase terminal velocity incorrectly, and it made me laugh because maybe he's not as smart as we think he is, or he's just a PR genius and talks like that to get people to talk about him. Or he's just completely full of it. That's probably the most likely answer, but, you know. I know you're shocked that that's the uh, the route that uh, that Rippy went. Ian Poulter sitting at five under par, a couple of shots off the lead. John Harding, who is a um, – he's playing not as – he's not playing as an amateur, is he? No, he's top 48 in the world. He plays mostly in Europe. Got a right. win over there. Right. Uh, played his college golf at Lamar University. He is 5-under. Had a nice run going on the backside. John Rahm is 5-under. 
Patton Kazire. Nice pick by Richard uh, in our Masters pool. He's sitting at four under. I don't think anybody else had Kazire's name on their uh, list of golfers. Kuchar's four under. Same thing for Mickelson. Connors is at four under. Adam Scott, Louis Oosthuizen, Gary Woodland. If you're curious about Tiger Woods, he is one under on his round through seven, three under for the championship after a two under 70 in the opening round yesterday. So that's what's happening at the Masters. We'll keep you up to date with the leaderboard as we go through the next three hours. But it is a baseball Friday got baseball in Starkville and already an alteration, a couple of alterations, hey, Dad, to the uh, to the schedule uh, surrounding some of the Super Bulldog weekend events. Yeah, if you were planning on baseball tonight, it's been moved from 6.30 to 6. Not that big a deal uh, tonight. But for tomorrow, uh, they have moved the baseball game to 1, which means it will be at the exact same time as the Maroon and White spring game. So you will have to make a decision on which one you, you want to see. Uh, but... Uh, that, that's that's the only way. It looks like the only window without rain is between late morning and mid-afternoon, and then after that it's going to pick back up again from what I was looking at uh, earlier today on, on, on the Thunder and Lightning Viper radar system. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, they're going to have to uh, – you're just going to have to make the choice. Which game do you want to go see? Yeah, Thunder and Lightning may be the appropriate uh, phrase. It's yeah. the uh, the podcast for uh, for Brian Haydad and uh, Joel Coleman, but uh, maybe the appropriate th- phrase for most of the state of Mississippi tomorrow is it looks like there could even be some potentially severe weather uh, coming through the state, so keep an eye on what's going on there. Um, lots to get to this afternoon. Luke Johnson going to join us in a little while. We'll get uh, a little more reaction on Doc Sadler stepping down as the head coach of Southern Miss basketball and where they go from there. Also, the uh, Southern Miss spring game, the black and gold game happening at the Rock tomorrow. So we'll talk a little Southern Miss spring football with him. Aaron Fitt will join us from D1Baseball.com. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the SEC. And I actually had somebody throw out an interesting um, idea to me about the SEC baseball tournament. And I want to run this by Aaron Fitt, but guys, I'll throw it out to you as well. Uh, the question was uh, was framed in the way that the, the SEC baseball tournament is obviously important to the league and it's important to fans, and once you get there, you want to win it. But if you're in the SEC baseball tournament, odds are you're probably going to be part of the NCAA field the following week, or at least the overwhelming majority of the teams that are in the SEC baseball tournament are going to be in the NCAA tournament as well. And that's the bigger prize, right? I mean, if, if you're in and you don't have to have the automatic bid, the bigger prize is winning a regional, getting to a super regional, trying to get to Omaha. And yet you look at the, the SEC baseball tournament, if you're one of the, the eight teams that has to play on that first day, and if you were to make a run in the tournament, you could conceivably be playing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday if you got all the way to the championship series. There's no other point of the entire season where you do that. So the question was raised to me, has there been a, ever been any consideration of going to seven-inning games at the SEC baseball tournament? And I've asked a couple of people, and I don't know if that's something that's been discussed. How would you feel about that idea? What, what if the SEC tournament uh, went to seven innings for the, the format for games in Hoover? Hey, Dad, what do you think about that? That's a very interesting idea. Um that's not baseball. Yeah, that that that's my concern. You, you nailed it, Borky. It's it, it's not baseball. I mean, you you you're fundamentally changing one of the rules of baseball, which is there are nine innings in a game. Now I know way back in or back in the day they used to do that in the SEC on the doubleheader Saturdays, but no, 
I'm, I'm not. I'm not in favor. No. You, you, well, well, if it's uh, something they do as a contingency plan in the regular season and allow it, I don't have a problem with allowing it in the tournament. It, well, it, I have so, a problem with them doing it in the regular season, which kind of stems my opinion on the tournament as well. Well, but if you look at the regular season, so let's just say that Ole Miss and Kentucky cannot play tomorrow because of weather. They play one nine-inning game tonight. If they play a doubleheader on Sunday, it's going to be two seven-inning games. Not a nine and a seven, not two nines. It's going to be two seven-inning games. So, Which is stupid to me, but continue. Well, would you rather be one game short? I'd rather them play two nine-inning games. But if both teams are playing the exact same game and you're playing by the same rules and the I mean do we cut basketball games short? Do we cut football games short? Okay, is this the part where we're going to pretend like baseball and basketball and football are all exactly the same? They are well, not, no. but we don't cut any other sport short. One 14 inning game that counts as two wins. <laughs> It's Rippy. Rippy. <laughs> you either I get really, two wins I or mean, two losses. Y'all are butting heads there. I, 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 really, I don't have an issue with this. If you're leading after games. seven, but then you give up the lead, is that a win and a loss? How does that work? No, <laughs> there's so many, but there are, there's so many, even college baseball, if it would only be 56, there's so many games. Um, I, I really don't have a strong issue with the seven innings. I get, I get that it's not baseball stance. Like I'm not completely against that, but I really don't mind it. No, but but you say it's not baseball, but to say that it's not baseball is a little disingenuous because baseball is played differently at all different levels. Now you can say it's not the same college baseball game that you play, but you got five year olds that are playing three inning games, and then you got ten year olds that are playing five inning games, and you've got high school baseball players that are playing seven inning games, and at times you say seven innings are okay in college baseball, and now in minor league baseball, if you get to extra innings, we're going to make up a new rule where we put a runner in scoring position to start the inning. So let's not pretend like baseball hasn't evolved and made rules to change things to protect players and in the sake of time. And when you look at the number of games that are part of that event and the fact that it's a long event and you you have a chance to just absolutely deplete your arms and then turn around and try and win a regional, does it not make some sense? Just play fewer games. Don't let Take a couple games away. Don't start when you do. Make it harder make, to make the tournament. Make it single elimination all the way through. That still wouldn't wait. No, that still wouldn't change the well. The single elimination might, but that still wouldn't change the fact that you're having to play that many games leading into a regional. Like that wouldn't really change anything. Well, then I don't mean, play it, the tournament. I, it, well, they're not going to not play the tournament. We got to come up with a better idea. Yeah, I mean, if we're well, terrified I, of hurting arms for the conference tournament, then just don't play the thing. It, but seven innings seems like a middle ground there, a fairly tame one. It, it, it's two innings fewer. And so then you in the still SEC get the basket- tournament. But in the SEC basketball tournament, you can play four games in a week. You never do that during the regular Forky season. basketball so and baseball aren't the same yeah, thing. Yeah, they're kind of a false equivalence. See, Borky doesn't like it when you disagree with I'm him. I'm fine either no, way. I, I, I really don't have a strong continue. opinion I would love to continue this. We're just running out of time here, Richard. But l- let's All go. Right. Sports Talk Mississippi, we've got a lot to get to with you this afternoon, including a conversation about 15 minutes from now from Luke Johnson. We'll talk to Masters as well. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
Told you a minute ago, ceasefire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer inspired. And ceasefire, by the way, reminds you not to text and drive. Richard and Wiggins says Fridays are some of my favorite shows, and he sends us a picture of a great big basket of mud bugs. So he's hammering some crawfish while he is uh, listening to Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along this afternoon. Dan in Charleston suggests that we make the SEC baseball tournament two weeks. Uh, Yeah, I don't think that's going to work. I I don't think we're going to spread the baseball tournament out for two weeks in Hoover, Alabama. That would be... I see what he's saying in principle, like spread it out to maybe we get an off day of games. But the logistics wise, I don't think that would uh, I don't think that would fly. Here's a text from a six zero one number. Says makes a lot of sense. He says seven innings and six teams. Okay, that certainly changes the way. Here's the thing. Okay, so the here's the format where you are currently with the SEC baseball tournament, and it's undergone a lot of changes through the years. There was a time. And I don't know, hey, Dad, I'm sure you remember this. Rippy, Borky, I don't know if you guys would. There was a time when you had SEC Eastern Division and Western Division tournaments, and they were hosted on sites uh, at schools. I mean, Mississippi State hosted it, LSU hosted it, Ole Miss hosted it. Wasn't the first one here? I I think so. Kellum told me that for something one time. That's that's correct. That is correct. What was that, 90, what would that have been, like 94? Does that sound about right? Oh, no, I no, no, no. I want to say it was earlier than that, like 78. Oh, okay. You're going, you're going way farther back. Going way yeah. farther back. Okay. Gotcha. So, yeah, so that would have been They did have the tournament, I think. Then they merged them and just had an SEC tournament, and those were still on campus until the early 90s. I know that State hosted what, a, what, a, a, what, a couple of But that's of the thing. So, so they went from division to merged on campus back to divisions when you got to the 12 teams. So maybe it was like 92, 93, 94 or 92 to 95, 96, something like that, where you had division tournaments after South Carolina and Arkansas came into the league, and then we went to Hoover, and we've been there for a really long time. But it used to be that you had eight teams that came in and played a double elimination tournament, and then it went to ten teams while there were 12 in the league, and then once you got to a 14-team league, we went to a 12-team tournament where you've got this current format of four elimination games Four teams get a bye kind of into the double elimination field, and then Wednesday through Sunday you play the double elimination. All right, so 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 let me open this up where everybody has absolute time, and we can agree or disagree on this. Let's just all talk about it. Borky, what do you think the right solution is? Because well, let, oh, let's see if we can establish this fact. Can we all agree that there are issues with regard to the SEC baseball tournament at least on some level, about protecting arms if you make a deep run into the tournament, knowing that you've got a regional the following week. Yes, and they've tried to limit it a little, right? Like, the Saturday used to be double elimination no matter what, right? Remember, now you got the winner's bracket thing where the semis become single, but you remember that's it used true. to be double, so they've tried a little bit. Okay, so so that's helped. Borky, are you on board with the fact that maybe they ought to look at something, or do you think it's good how it is? Uh, they, they have to look at something, and I'll take it even a step further. I don't like the first round of the NCAA tournament being four games. When you're used to playing three-game series, that's what you do all season long, and once the postseason comes, you cha- you fundamentally change what they're used to all season long. I don't like that either. So I completely agree further. with that. I- I'd love to see we take the, the getting to Omaha to three best-of-three series weekends. Couldn't you do it the same way, essentially, too, and just have two different series happening at one side if you wanted to do it that way? See what I'm saying? There's 
four teams in a regional, why not just make each team like that's a separate series? So the, the one and the four play a two out of three, the two and the three play a two out of, a two out of three, but you do it at, at just 16 sites instead of going to 32? Right, because that way you don't really have to change the logistics of it. I guess that wouldn't really make sense for two and three always being at a neutral, but... Yeah, fair enough. But you would reward teams for hosting. Either way, it, uh, no, something's got to change because you guys are right. You do have to protect arms some way. That many games in a row, especially when you're not used to it during the season, is probably not the best practice, especially, and even though they won't take this into account, the SEC tournament is basically useless because you don't need to worry about an auto bid. Yeah, for the majority of teams. I don't remember the last time you had a team that wasn't going to be in the tournament who ended up winning the whole thing and and getting into the tournament only because of an auto bid. I, I, I can't think of a time in recent memory uh, that that's been the case. Hey, Dad, the Wait, other the, thing is the, it, what, the case for what? Where a team wasn't going to get in the NCAA tournament and only got in because they won the entire SEC tournament. Oh, won the whole thing? No. Okay. No. Hey, hey, Dad, the other part of this is different teams approach it different ways. I feel like traditionally Georgia has not given a flip about the SEC tournament and has had a lot of 0 and 2 and 1 and 2 trips. LSU makes a big deal out of it, they win a ton. They've won a ton of SEC tournaments. They almost, it seems like almost every year, maybe two out of three years, they're playing in the championship game of the tournament. And it's funny, we see them in Omaha a lot as well. Yeah, it, and, and I don't know that there's a right way to handle it, to be totally honest with you. I don't know that anybody's idea of it is, is the best. You just go in there and just, you know, if we win, we win, great. But if not, you know, we'll go home and get ready for the tournament. Or do you want to make, you know, do you want to look at it as like, look, this is what it's going to be like the rest of the way. We need to get used to winning some pressure games. So, uh, and I mean, you can't really argue with LSU's philosophy, like you said, because they have, you know, they have all the national titles to show for it. So, with State, I've always there have been some years I felt like they put a lot of effort into it, and there have been some yeah. years where I thought, okay, they're 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 obviously just trying to get out because they, they, I, 2017 was that way for them because, as you recall, they had so little pitching that it was just. Every game you felt like, oh, my gosh, this is going to really hurt them in the regional because they just don't have enough arms. Do you have to mask it at all if you're not trying to win there? Like, how blatant can you go? Like, yeah, I don't you know how you two tank big starters. Well, yeah. but, 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 well, like, you could have, like, Tyler Keenan throw a couple innings, get out of there on a Tuesday. I, I guess that's true, but <laughs> the, the, there are teams that say uh, – Florida would be a good example, right? Uh, the last couple of years, Florida says, we play on Wednesday and Thursday. We're not throwing our weekend guys because Florida was going to be a national seed regardless, so they just throw their midweek guys, and if they happen to win those first two games, well, guess what? Now you don't play on Friday, and you're going to throw your number one guy on Saturday and your number two guy on Sunday. Or if you've got a guy that you feel like you need to rest, you just rest him. I, I, I guess in the case of Florida, though, the last few years they've been so good that they could get away with that. There are a lot of teams that couldn't get away with that and have a chance to win. Felt like Ray Tanner wanted his team to lose in the SEC yep. tournament as early as possible. I, I felt like South Carolina and Georgia were the two teams that absolutely, on a year-in, year-out basis, did not care about the SEC tournament. LSU cares a bunch. Vanderbilt cares a bunch. I feel like, as a general rule, Miss and Mississippi State care a bunch. And when you look at the crowd, I mean, well, yeah, it was at 05 or 06 – when, when they played and, yeah, when they played in the 05. championship game, it was 05, and State won that game. Mm-hmm. And then you turned around the next year in 06, Ole Miss played Vanderbilt in the championship game. Ole Miss won it, 
And then obviously last year Ole Miss beat LSU in the championship game. Didn't Mississippi State have another SEC tournament win in the last handful of years? Yeah, they won it in, uh, wait, was it 12? 12, I think. Yeah. Chris was it 12 Stratton's, or was uh, it 13 the year that they made the run to the college? No, it, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't 13. It was 12. It was Chris Stratton's uh, last year at State. Okay, so so to whom does the SEC tournament matter? To fans? Well, I think so because fans, you can't – swallowing losses is hard as a fan. You, you can't – even when you think long term, it's it's you want to see your team win. You know, and, and it's it's a good event. You, you want to be a part of it. And if you're there, you know, if you're a fan, obviously, you, you want to see your team win. Do fans really – I guess it depends on the situation, but do they really get that upset of her early Hoover exit? Like, it seems like even a lot of times when you don't have anything to prove and – like basketball, too. I know it's not the same sport, but like I don't think most Ole Miss people were necessarily too broken up about like a one-and-done against Alabama. Because it, it dep- de- I guess it depends on what you have to prove. It depends on when you lose. If, it, like I said, one-and-done, you're, you're not that upset, right? But if Ole Miss had made it to the to Saturday, then at that point you're emotionally invested. You know, that's how you're like, okay, maybe we got a chance to win this thing. That's what uh, that's what I think happens. You know, if you go out early, it's okay. Let's get ready for the NCAA tournament. But if you make it to Saturday, you're, well, now we might as well win the whole thing. And 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 I fully realize that this conversation is we're we're taking a wildly successful event, a, an event that both Ole Miss and Mississippi State have had a lot of success in, and saying, okay, how can we fundamentally change the tournament to make it better for everybody? I, I, I understand that that's part of where we're coming from. I just thought it was kind of a, a really interesting topic. We'll, we'll ask Aaron Fit about this when we talk later. Uh, and the other piece of this is not everybody has a conference tournament. The ACC does, but it's kind of a bastardization of a tournament. It's not a tournament. They do, like, pod pool play, and then the two winners of the pools play each other in a single game. I, I don't want to see that. Um, yeah, the Big 12, I can't even remember what they do. The Pac-12 doesn't have a tournament. Um, Would all single elimination really be that bad of a thing? That might be your best bet. Just go to single elimination, you lose, and you go home? Yeah. Yeah. Teams might be more inclined. Oh, actually, I don't know. I can't really make that argument. I was going to say they might be more inclined to throw, like, better pitchers, but I don't But on the same token, if it's single elimination and you really want to get out of there, who's our worst oh, yeah. guy? you got the start. you got the ball. We're, th- we're keeping you on the, on the mound for six. Now, if you go to a league different than the SEC, for example, Conference USA, the tournament's a really big deal because it gives a team a chance from maybe a one-bid or a two-bid league to play their way in if they're able to win it. So a little bit different story if you're talking about a different conference. Luke Johnson will join us next. Well, the news in Augusta is suboptimal. They just put up a weather warning sign on the uh, the big scoreboard. I don't know if that means that Aaron Fitt is also in Augusta, Georgia, or not, because he says there's a big thunderstorm rolling through as well. This is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Aaron Fitt joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Aaron, where are you? I'm home in Durham, actually, trying to see if the weather's going to pass through in time to, to get some action in over at NC State tonight against Louisville. But it doesn't look great over here. The whole eastern seaboard looks like it's dredged right now. Yeah, I don't think the weather uh, patterns are great for a lot of spots uh, this weekend. They've already kind of made some changes in Starkville. Um, how big is this weekend in the SEC? I know there are a couple of marquee series, but going into week five, when we get to Sunday, we'll be at the halfway point for everybody. What's the level of importance for this weekend? Well, you know, it kind of depends where you are in the standings how important it is. You know, if you're 
uh, like where South Carolina is right now, it's, it's, it's do or die time. You know, there's no more margin for error. Uh, some of the teams in the top half have a little bit more wiggle room still, but um, yeah, we're, we're heading into the home stretch now, like you said. I mean, it's, uh, uh, things are starting to get pretty interesting around the league, and, and it seems like every week we've just got, you, you talk about marquee series, I and mean, every week we've got like top 10 showdowns in that league. It's nuts. Yeah, two of them this week are two top 25 showdowns with Auburn A&M down in College Station and uh, Arkansas Vanderbilt in uh, in Nashville. Quick thought on last night. Tennessee getting that win against Georgia. Georgia had looked so good, was playing well. I, I guess the bottom line is just Tennessee's got some arms. Is, is that the big story out of Knoxville? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's been the big difference for them. You know, they, they had a lot of these guys there last year, but they were, you know, a year younger, still kind of trying to figure it out. And, uh, but we knew they had quality arms, you know, in that in that class, the group of sophomores that are now juniors, and uh, and now those guys have really taken the next level, you know. Um, Garrett Stallings has been very good this year. Last night they moved Garrett Crochet into the rotation, and uh, and he was outstanding, you know. And that's a guy that a big left hander that's ninety ninety four, you know, with a really good slider when he's on. He's been a weapon for him out of the bullpen. Uh, but when they were moving up to Thursday, they decided to give him a shot to start and. Uh, give them five shutout innings. So, you know, they've got they've got some real arms on that staff. It's just a matter of will they hit enough uh, to keep their heads above water uh, in the second half of the SEC. And, you know, it won't be easy, but they got a chance because they can pitch. Aaron, I don't think anybody's feeling sorry for the, uh, for the Florida Gators, given that they've uh, participated in seven of the last nine College World Series. But this is obviously a team that looks a lot different uh, for, for Kevin O'Sullivan this year. Is there an opportunity for this Florida team to continue to get better, or is this just going to be a year where they're just not very good, at least in in comparison to the standard right. that they've set? No, I mean, that's a fair point, because when you've been to Omaha seven times in nine years, uh, the standards do change a little bit. You know, I think right now I still believe they will be a regional team, um, but if you're a regional two-seed or even a three, in Gainesville, in Gainesville, that's a disappointment. Um, but uh, uh, this team is still very talented. It's just a matter of getting some of the younger guys on track. They're very young. They lost a lot from last year's team, and I love their freshman arms. Um, but you know they're still learning. And same with their position guys. We Kendrick uh, Callalau and, and Corey Acton have all kinds of talent. And um, you know Brady McConnell's had a nice year. It's his first opportunity to play every day at shortstop. So uh, they've got a lot of good pieces. It's just. Uh, they need a little bit more from their, their returning arms, frankly. I think that's been the biggest issue. Is they're not getting enough out of Tyler Dyson uh, or Jack Leftwich, and, and even, even Tommy Mace got shelled last week. So, um, you know, that to me is, is really the key for those guys is, uh, is getting the, the pitching going. And it's, it's really shocking to see a Florida team that's struggling on the mound because that's just the identity of their program year after year. Hey, Aaron, it's Brian. Hey, Dad. Speaking of, of problems on the mound, it looks like MSU might be without JT again again this weekend. If he's out for an extended period of time, and, and Chris Lomonas doesn't make it sound like he's going to be, but if he is, what, what does that do to your perception of what Mississippi State is? No, it definitely changes it. There's no question. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought one of the reasons this team had a chance to win it all this year was. I thought they had one of the best one-two punches in the country, you know, maybe the best with Ethan Small and JT Ginn when those guys are both going right. Uh, I just think it's so hard to win two out of three against Mississippi State. Um, but if you take Ginn out of the mix, I mean, they already were having problems with the Sunday starter spot, getting consistency out of that. And so, you know, if in fact Ginn misses extended period of time, it changes the outlook. There's no question. I mean, this team, uh, I think, is extremely good and balanced, but not overly deep. 
um, you know, especially positionally. I mean, if they have an injury or two in the lineup, I think even Chris Limonis thinks they could be in some trouble. You know, they can go 10 deep, you know, maybe 11, but uh, there's a drop-off there. And, and, you know, on the mound, too, I mean, Ginn and Small are kind of indispensable. I like the bullpen pieces. I think they can mix and match. They've been able to do that on Sundays despite getting short outings from their starters. But to do that two days in a row is a little bit of a different story. That's a lot harder. Aaron, I think we talked um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and I asked you how concerned you were about Ole Miss. That was going into the Arkansas series. They went two out of three. They sweep Florida last weekend. In their last four games, they've scored 12, 16, 12, and 11. And you said, oh, I, I think this offense is going to be just fine. We've got to see about the keep pitching. So two weeks later, uh, you, you kind of look like Nostradamus in there, at least with regard to the offense. Have, have you seen enough with the pitching? with Will Etheridge and Doug Nikhazy and then kind of some mixture on Sundays? Yeah, I, I think they have enough there. You know, it, it's uh, it's definitely a team that the offense is going to carry it. You know, like I said, we thought this was going to be one of the best offenses in the country. Um, and, and a team that has really good defensive personnel, you know. And, and I think those things are, are bearing out. But, um you know, they can pitch enough, I think, given given how good they are offensively and defensively. Uh, I think McKenzie is, is a, you know, a big-time guy, you know. I mean, it's uh, just really advanced pitchability for a freshman. And uh, from the left side, he's got four pitches he can mix and match really well. And, um, you know, and Essridge has done a good job. And, yeah, they need to figure out, you know, some of the other pieces. And certainly they, they would need more out of Gunnar Hoagland, who was their big blue-chip freshman guy. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I, I still feel like the ingredients are there. You know, it's a matter of being healthy and, and what are we going to get out of Parker Tracy down the stretch? He was not really the guy we expected him to see in the first half. Um, and that's a big key for them as well, certainly. Well, I, and that's actually where I was going to go next. What, what do you think about Parker Tracy? Because a little rocky out of the gate. Velocity seems to be back up. He's now gone 10 innings scoreless once he's gotten into uh, into league play and seems to be having success with his breaking ball. Do you think that will be the key for him, You know, a, a second pitch besides just the fastball in the low 90s? Yeah, when, when he's going really well, you know, that, that slider is one of the tougher pitches in the SEC, you know, because it's got that lower slot and it's, it's, uh, it's got a lot of that, that horizontal tilt to it and it's late and sharp and hard, you know. And, but it's funny because other times you'll see him and it'll be kind of just a loose flurf, you know, uh, 79-80, and then when it's going good, it'll be 83, 85, 86, you know. I think the difference is that, that power. When he's got that power with that slider, uh, it's, it's a real big-time weapon for him. And that's really, I thought, uh, a big reason he got so many strikeouts last year, that pitch. We've had a little fun with this, uh, this idea this week, that, that if you had to right now pick the winner of the SEC West, all you really would be doing would be just taking a, a name and throwing it against the wall or at least that's kind of been the, the general consensus. Do you look at it differently? Do you, do you think there is one team out of that group at the top, but really the the top five in the West that, that stands out more than the others? No, I think you're spot on. You know, I think it's a complete crapshoot right now uh, between Arkansas, LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. Am I forgetting anybody? I mean, that's, do, well, I, you know, do, do, you, do you factor Auburn into that mix as well? I mean, that would Auburn. be the only other question. I, I wouldn't. I mean, you know, I've, I've kind of been expecting Auburn to, to take a little bit of a dip here. I, I think they've done a great job holding it together down there because they've had significant injury issues. You know, no Dave yeah. Daniel, and you know, you lose Jack Owen, and Will Holland hasn't been nearly the guy he was last year. He had a little injury deal earlier on. So, given all that, I think they've done an incredible job. But I, I don't think they have um, the, the kind of staying power that those other five teams have. 
What about in the East? Does Georgia end up running away with it, or is Vanderbilt going to have very much something to say with it as we, we go all the way through? Yeah, no, I think certainly Vanderbilt is not going to go away quietly. You know, and uh, give Georgia credit. They won two out of three against the Doors uh, this past weekend. It was at home, you know, and that's what you got to do. And the SEC yeah. protect your home field advantage, win those home series two out of three. Uh, but to Vandy's credit, they didn't get swept. You know, that's what you have to do with a road team in this league, right? At least don't get swept. Um, so I, I still feel like, you know, Georgia has, is the elite pitching and defense team. Vanderbilt is the elite offensive team. Um, so they can both beat you different ways, and uh, I think it's going to be a really good race between those two clubs down the stretch. Aaron, last thing for you, and topical because the two Ole Miss is playing this weekend. So, so Nick Mangione, very much a rebuilding year. I think 22 newcomers, 16 freshmen on the on the roster this year, or maybe it's 14 freshmen on the roster this year for Kentucky. Brand new ballpark. He's done really good things. I mean, he's what two wins away from becoming the the winningest coach in the first three years in the history of the program. But given the investment, we've only got about 30 seconds. Is there a long leash for, for him at Kentucky? Yeah, there's definitely, I think, a, a fairly long leash. I mean, they had a great year two years ago. Right. Last year, even despite injuries, they almost, you know, really, I think, should have been in the regional, uh, which would have been only the, the first time in program history that they made back-to-back regionals. They knew this year was going to be a little bit of a rebuilding situation with what they lost and, and how they got hit in the draft. But they're doing a good job recruiting. Uh, they love that guy. I think uh, he's, he's really made a believer on a lot of people in administration around the program. So I think, I think he's there for the long haul. Great stuff. Aaron, thanks for your time. Enjoy the weekend. Hope, uh, hope you can get some baseball in tonight with the West. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Friday afternoon, glad to have you along. Ole Miss starting to take batting practice at Swayze Field. Kentucky has gotten to the ballpark, and they're just kind of hanging out down around the dugout. Similar setup, I would guess, although, what, 30 minutes earlier. So everything's fast-forward 30 minutes in Starkville. Mississippi State probably getting close to finishing up their batting practice as they get set for game one tonight against Alabama. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey in the studio. Brian Scott Rippey with me here in Oxford. Brian Haydad in Starkville. We're glad to have you along on this uh, this Friday afternoon. A weather delay at Augusta, guys. They had a great second round going, and then the stupid lightning pops up, and they take everybody off the course. Francesco Molinari in the clubhouse along with Jason Day and Brooks Kepka all at seven under par. Dustin Johnson shot 70 today. He is six under. Justin Harding shot 69 today. He is also six under. Uh, Adam Scott on the course at six under through 14. Louis Oosthuizen on the course six under through 13. Ian Poulter in the clubhouse at five under. John Rahm is five under. Patton Kazire in the clubhouse at four under. Same thing for Kucher and Phil Mickelson, who goes 67-73 in his first two rounds. And lurking, currently tied for 10th, Tiger Woods at four under par. Two under on his round, coming off a birdie at number 11. He's about to hit his tee shot on 12 when they went, Oh, no, he hit the tee shot to five feet and had to go mark his ball. Oh, no, Borky. So momentum and a five-footer for birdie to get to two shots off the lead and the horn sounds. Yeah, and he was the only one to hit the shot in the group, so he got to walk up. It was actually a really cool image. He he walked up completely by himself, no caddy, over the bridge and marked his ball and came back, which was kind of cool to see. It was eerie because he was the only one doing it, but, yeah, a five-footer for birdie and horn blew. 
I guess you uh, – help me out here. Would you rather have a five-foot birdie putt coming out of a weather delay or a tee shot coming out of a weather delay on a par three? Think, think I'd rather have the putt. That's just me. It's The tee shot. Five-footer. Five-footer for Tiger Woods. Hole. Really? Okay. Just for me. I mean, you're already there. You're there. You, you, you hit a great shot. It's a, you know, just knock in a relatively makeable putt. Hey, Dad, is that because the only thing you can really relate it to is putt-putt? Oh, it's like that. It's going to be that way. That's fine. <laughs> no, I just, I, I, I'm fine. just, you know. Fine, would you rather no, it's all right. See, now I'm, now I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, take a full swing with a, with an eight iron and uh, try and knock it close after you've been able to hit that exact shot on the range. I guess you got to go try and figure out how to replicate on the putting green the exact putt. Uh, you're about to uh, about to see. I don't know. And the surface is different than when you left it. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, so anyway, yeah, good good stuff going on at the Masters. They're just not playing um, right now. Hey, what do we need to know about Mississippi State series with Alabama that begins at six o'clock tonight? It's it's another series, sort of like last week where. You know, if you just look at the rankings and you and you look at the teams and you think, okay, State's going to get this series pretty easily. But Alabama, I think you said it earlier this week, they've played so much better than they, they played a year ago. They're obviously an improving baseball team. They're a good pitching team, very similar to Tennessee in that aspect. Um, you know, Finnerty and Love, their 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 Friday and Saturday night starters, are quality guys. You know, they have they're they're good in the SEC. And you know, so State's going to have to take these games very seriously, and and they, they need to win this series. You know, they need to put themselves at what a, if they took two out of three, they would be nine and six after the first fifteen. You're on pace to be eighteen and twelve. That's definitely going to be good enough. That's probably going to be good enough to be a national seed because, like we talked about earlier this week, State's been so good in non-conference games that even if they lose to Ole Miss, you're talking about having fourteen losses total. Uh, in, in, in you know in out of conference games, I use the quotation marks when I said that because you have to count the Governor's Cup that way. So this is a big series for MSU. They've got small on the mound tonight, Plumley uh, written in for tomorrow, and then TBA on Sunday. We'll see if it's JT Ginn. We'll see if it's Keegan James uh, as the weekend progresses. Finnerty's a really weird Friday night matchup because he like hangs like mid eighties and throws like twelve pitches. Yeah, like it's not 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 your prototypical Friday night guy. And, yeah, and sort, of, is, sort of the same way State was a few years back when Ross Mitchell was their Friday night guy. They didn't they didn't have that fireballing ace, so they just threw a guy who gave you a lot of different looks, and it, it was very effective for a issue. With, with no disrespect to Ross Mitchell, though, Sam Finnerty does look like a baseball player. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Ross you said that. I'll we'll no, see him later. He, he does color with Jim Ellis now, so. Yeah, Ross is a great guy and was a yeah. fun interview and was so dynamic, but you, you just looked at him on the mound. He didn't look like a baseball player. Do you yeah. disagree? Well, I mean, not only did he not look like a baseball player, he, his fastball topped out at about, you know, 78, 79 most nights. So, yeah, he definitely was not your prototypical SEC pitcher, but a very, very effective one for Mississippi State, especially in that, that 2013 run. To me, that's part of what's cool about baseball as well. Is okay, yeah, you know, six four two ten, bringing it ninety six is prototypical, but that's not what Greg Maddox was. And I'm not necessarily connect. Well, I'm not necessarily. I am not comparing Ross Mitchell to Greg Maddox, but the ability to pitch. I mean, it's about location and changing speeds, and you know, getting the hitter uncomfortable and. 
he was able to do that a lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. I mean, and that's why he was effective. And I haven't seen Finnerty pitch, so you got me intrigued uh, to see what he's going to bring to the mound tonight. Ethan Small, the left-hander, 3-0, 2.06 ERA against Finnerty. He's 5-3 with a 3.19 ERA, a senior right-hander. Tomorrow it's Peyton Plumley, a right-hander for Mississippi State, 1-2 with a sub-4 ERA against Brock Love, the junior right-hander. Uh, he is 4-1 with a uh, also sub-4 ERA, and then both Alabama and Mississippi State will wait and see on the Sunday start uh, starter. And Sunday's game, by the way, is supposed to be on TV, a 3 o'clock Central Time start in Starkville on Sunday afternoon on the uh, the SEC Network. In Oxford, pitching matchup tonight, right-hander Will Etheridge against right-hander Jimmy Ramsey. And without even looking at the numbers, Rippy, you know, you, you know what Will Etheridge gives you, but when you hear that Kentucky's throwing a right-hander and not throwing Zach Thompson in game one, you feel really good about your chances out of the gate. Yeah, and a lot. I mean, in some ways, but I mean, this—if you've watched the pattern of this year, if you even call it a pattern, because I guess it hasn't really followed a coherent order. This team's been known to kind of throw a random stinker, and like you can't afford to do that tonight because, to be honest, their chances tomorrow are not that great. I mean, first-round pick, left-hander, one of the SEC's best pitchers, like. You know what I mean? Like, it makes tonight more of a pressured swing game because if you lose tonight, then you're really in a tight spot. But if you win, then you feel pretty good and you don't have to beat Thompson. Hey, hey, Borky, have you got any water you can pass to Rippy? He's about to choke on his pessimism sandwich. <laughs> no, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't like, like, I think Ole Miss is going to win tonight. I, I, I do. I, I think, obviously, better pitcher going. I'm just saying it creates a weird dynamic when you have a kid that talented throwing on Saturday. Will Etheridge is four and two with a two twelve ERA. Uh, Kentucky throwing Jimmy Ramsey two and two with a six point nine ERA. Thirty five strikeouts, fourteen walks on the year. So the matchup you're talking about tomorrow, Zach Thompson, who's really good, two and zero, ERA of one ninety nine. He's got seventy four strikeouts and only fourteen walks. But if you flip the coin, Ole Miss is going to throw a left hander as well, Doug Nikhazy. It's not a great offensive Kentucky team. It, regardless of how good Zach Thompson is, Kentucky's got to score, too, and they hadn't done that a ton this year. Well, yeah, and that's when you kind of look at it from the other side, too. Like, like I feel like people around here know about Doug Nikhazy and how like invaluable he's been for this team in stabilizing the rotation, but you want to talk about a leaping point to jump on to a national stage? You outdoors out Zach Thompson, and that's a pretty loud statement to make. So, in you know, from his vantage point, and I, I think he probably in some form thinks about it that way because I bet last week was a little personal for him. Florida kid, they don't really recruit him. Like, he obviously would never admit that, but you could kind of tell. And so, yeah, I mean, from an individual perspective, it's a it's quite the chance for Nikhazy to kind of jump on the national stage. Kentucky hitting two fifty four as a team. They've got 36 home runs. Uh, so, you know, decent amount of home runs at, at this point in the season, but only a two fifty four team batting average. And, hey, Dad, the, the thing we saw the last couple of years with Kentucky, regardless of what the record was, they, they were really good two years ago. Last year, just on the outside looking in with regard to a regional, but they've hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it. They had some guys that could swing the bats in the first couple of years for Nick Mingione. Probably as a bunch of those guys went to the draft in the last two years. Yeah, you know, Minjian's a hitting coach, too, so he's he's the guy who's going to – you think he would have that kind of team, and it's not really working out for him so much this year. And, you know, going back to what Aaron Fitz said a, a few minutes ago, I'm very interested to watch how Kentucky finishes out this season because 
you can look at it the way he looked at it, or you can look at it the way they've gotten worse each year, and that's not a good trend. So we'll see where uh, where it takes us. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think the the at least part of the important thing to look at with Kentucky is the fact that they had 13 players drafted a year ago, more than any other program in the country. Um, of course, a lot, a lot of those guys were uh, guys that were recruited by uh, previous head coach, Sports Talk Mississippi, Renaissance Bank Studio. Talk Mississippi with you. Friday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether it's financing a piece of property, refinancing an existing loan, maybe it's buying equipment to maintain the land or a production loan, whether it's for a, uh, a group, for an individual or a business, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land and everything related to land for over 100 years. You can find their branch location scattered across North Mississippi on the website, mslandbank.com. Also grab a phone number there, give them a call. Stop by and talk to them about what it is that you need. Fantastic people to do business with at Mississippi Land Bank. So, guys, there was a meeting in Baton Rouge today. It did happen, according to schedule. Will Wade sat down with the brass from LSU and somebody, at least one somebody, maybe multiple somebodies from the NCAA, and what, 35, 36 days after being suspended, he had a conversation. In the words of LSU, it took the first step, or this was the first step toward any potential resolution. Um, I think it was... Ross Dellinger, who wrote that uh, this could be the first step toward potential reconciliation, which is an interesting word. LSU is not making a statement. There uh, is a source that has told people it is unlikely LSU makes any decisions today regarding Coach Will Wade. What am I missing here? That's a good question because... The wiretap exists. People have heard it. People know what's on it. It's been reported. And here in, oh, I don't know, uh, about two weeks from right now, it will be played in a federal court. So at this point, why are you even entertaining the idea of keeping him? Should that meeting have not been, thanks, good luck in court, and not, hey, maybe we'll keep you, because even if the NCAA can't prove that money was exchanged, that wiretap is all they have needed for the past 20 years when they have handed down penalties for paying players or extra benefits. This is the most evidence they maybe have ever had before, a coach straight up saying that he gave an offer to a player that plays for his team. So why even entertain this? You cut me off there. Well, you were banging your headset around like you. Were, um, or, yes. The, I think I think the side we may be missing here is that the federal prosecutors are trying to prevent Will Wade and Sean Miller from testifying. That doesn't stop well, the tape, though. That, that's 
very good point, but do you shirk some heat because he's not having to get grilled in a court of law? That, that may be possible, and, and that is you know one of the things that's going on here. Why do we have an understanding as to why prosecutors... Okay, so the, the federal prosecutors who are trying this and are... Okay, so, so let's back up for a second and make sure that we're all clear here. The trial that's happening is related to the related to the Adidas executives, right? Okay, so 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 that's step one, and it's the Adidas people, Jim Gatto and and that Merle Code and that crew, that want to force Will Wade and Sean Miller to testify. And so it's not the federal prosecutors, the FBI people, the Department of Justice, who've been spearheading this entire thing, that are trying to put Will Wade on the stand. It's the defense that's trying to put Will Wade and Sean Miller on the stand to show that these guys were not operating with no idea what was going on. Isn't that the perfect example of how convoluted this whole thing is? It really is. To where the defense is actually, like their version of going scorched earth is getting the coaches on the stand. It's like it almost, like it shouldn't make any sense, but it makes perfect sense. Hey, Dad, what do you do with this thing? I would have already fired Will Wade. I, I would have already done it. I mean, there's, I don't see the path back. I just don't. So you know, it, it's I, interesting I feel like it's a gigantic waste of time by LSU. Just, just fire him. Fire him and move forward. I mean, you you look at LSU basketball right now. I mean, all of their, their top guys have declared for the draft. Reed, Waters, Smart, they're all getting out of town. Williams. How does yeah, that help them, though, if they fire him before they absolutely have to? What do they gain by doing it before it comes to a point I, where I, I get what you're to. saying. You're right. You, you know, and that's that's it's sort of similar to, to what Ole Miss did. Was I, I honestly believe that had the personal stuff not come out about Hugh Freeze, he might still oh, be probably, the coach there. Yeah, I, I would, I would probably agree year. there. So, yeah, yeah I mean, they, they, there does reach a breaking point, but – Maybe it's just a little bit better perception-wise for them if they get on the stand and there's that tape and he's laying all this out and the cryon says, former LSU head coach, as opposed to LSU head coach. I, I would I, – I tend to agree with you where you say you would have fired him already, and that's where I lean, but I might, I'm, I, might, I might differ here. I would have either fired him already – or I wouldn't have fired him and wouldn't have any plans to until well, I'm not, absolutely if, if I wasn't going to fire him, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, have suspended, ever suspended him. him. Exactly. That, well, exactly. That, that's what I'm getting. He'd have coached the whole way through. I would have either fired him or he would have, we would have just, you know, born to ride with Will Wade. I wonder if yeah. the suspension was emotional at all about them being mad about him not meeting. Like, that frustrated the whole process of it. Like, they were so overwhelmed by the whole thing, and then he was like, well, I'm not talking because my attorney told me not to, and they're like, to hell with this guy suspended. Yeah, I get that. And, and, I mean, if you're the boss, you're mad about that. But when you're the boss and you say, hey, I need you to come talk to me and the NCAA is going to be here, well, you go, well, then I can't talk to you. Well, what do you mean? You, you have to come talk to me. I'm your boss. No, you, no, you, ju- you just said you need me to come talk to you and the NCAA is going to be there. If you want me to come talk to you, I will. You're my boss. We'll talk through this. We'll have real talk. If you want me to talk to you with the NCAA there, then you're forcing me to either incriminate myself or lie. And neither of those options work out real well with the NCAA. And then you just, it's this whole dynamic of having like 
the actual police force versus like a mall cop like tagging along trying to enforce this whole deal. Like, what does the NCAA exactly do at this point? <laughs> the NCAA is a mall cop. I like that. But like, what what do you do at this point? Like how? Like we've talked about it before. How are they going to mess this up? Do you think they're going to mess it up? Oh, do you I think they're going to. I'm barely confident. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> Richard, they you're hilarious. Like, even if they do the right thing, like an quote unquote right thing, the pertinent result, it's going to be the complete wrong way of doing it. And I don't know what that is, but it's going to happen. Is LSU going to end up in trouble? I'm actually going to lean no. If really? they don't, then the NCAA has completely rendered itself useless, and the Power Five will move to break away from the NCAA. Love it. That'll be the end result. But, Borky, we've thrown out that idea before. And, and here it's they all are. Been they related just, to this, though. They just keep on plugging along. They win some, they lose some in federal court, and just keep on plugging along, cashing that check for a billion bucks from CBS at the basketball tournament every year. Speaking of winners and losers, prison hoops leagues uptick in skill level and coaching. <laughs> Jeez, nice. So, so is that a winner or a loser? Probably a winner. The leagues are winners. The participants, not so much. Yeah, but uh, it, it, what, seriously, what do you do? Like, what is the end? What is the end result of all this? That's what I always keep wondering with this. I, I think the only thing that they can do that makes sense because they don't have the manpower to do anything else besides this, or just don't do it at all. I think what they're going to do, and they've already done it with the first trial, they will just collect all of the evidence that they have uh, that is given to them publicly through these trials that are upcoming, and they will just take those documents and hand down penalties based on what's in those documents. Because they can't independently investigate those claims. They don't have time or the manpower. So if they're going to punish everybody involved in this thing, they have to just do it by chalk or not do it at all. So if they don't investigate it at all themselves and just start handing down penalties based off of that, don't you like? Don't you get into the whole, we're suing the NCAA? That's why I tend to think people end up getting off scot-free here. What do you mean they're going to sue the NCAA? Like, the, like there, to me, and I don't know the legality of this or like any of like the, the logistics, I guess, but if the NCAA is handing down penalties based off evidence without it investi- it itself investigating at all, don't you feel like there's a way out of that? Not if the I evidence mean, is made public, right? Well, I get what you're saying. That Look, uh, hold on. Now you're, this is almost just hearsay because you didn't actually discover it yourself. But when it's evidence that was collected by the United States Department of Justice, it feels like that maybe carries a little more weight. Not like Joe Fan went out and gathered a bunch of evidence and wrote a book about it, and you used the book as evidence. Not clipping a tiger droppings thread to the evidence is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I mean, t- <laughs> Mike the Tiger. What, what, what's your uh, what's your your online go to? Internet Tough Guy sixty nine. Internet Tough Guy sixty nine <laughs> said uh, via at twitters dot com. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Hey, Dad, are you about to split and head to the ball yard? Out. Have a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday. Enjoy the uh, weekend. Hope the ribs uh, don't uh, – they're good. I hope they're good. Hope you win a trophy. If you're awake at 2 a.m., I'll periscope. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
Here we go, just after 5 o'clock with you. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. You know what that means. You know what it means. Welcome to the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Hey, Dad has already split for the afternoon. He is headed over, or I guess is probably at Duty Noble by now, Mississippi State and Alabama. Game one coming up uh, about an hour from right now. Ole Miss and Kentucky about an hour and a half away from first pitch in Oxford. Rebels and the Wildcats playing in game one of a three-game series. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, check them out at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Good to have you along. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. That's the Ceasefire text line, Ceasefire customer inspired. We spent some time yesterday talking uh, some big-picture football stuff, and it was about the, the job at Ole Miss and at Mississippi State and how it compares to some other jobs. There is a perception that uh, some perennially – always struggle with that word perennially successful programs who have fallen on hard times continue to be considered to be better jobs than jobs like Ole Miss or Mississippi State is that correct because of their success in the past do they continue to deserve to be in that spot we'll continue that conversation right now as we begin the college football fix College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. But it's not just trucks It's at Ford. It's SUVs like the Expedition and the Explorer. It's vans and you got cars and you've got the crossover like the Edge. Fantastic vehicles at Ford. You can test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. All right, Borky, so why don't you re-tee this for us and uh, let's kind of start this conversation back up. Yeah, we had this conversation. We started it yesterday, and basically it stemmed from a Twitter conversation I saw, but there is a general accepted perception uh, around the country that, for example, Tennessee is a better job, a better program than Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So my question is, is that still true to this day? And if if it's not, if Tennessee's still a better job, how close is it? And has it gotten closer over the last few years? So, so I gave you an initial answer yesterday, uh, but then didn't really expound on it. I, I just said that, yes, Tennessee is a better job, better football job than Ole Miss or Mississippi State, but the gap has closed dramatically significantly not enough to to completely shift the programs okay but, but you go yeah but the recent success well okay yes recent success with poor leadership and bad coaching hires versus good leadership and good coaching hires or some combination therein so so we use mississippi state as, a, as an example with um Greg Burns, Scott Strickland, now John Cohen as athletics directors. And, and you know, not enough of a sample size yet with Joe Moorhead, but with Dan Mullen, you know, you had a really good football coach. Um, Dave Hart, followed by 
It's the guy that Tennessee fired not too long ago. I can't. I can see him. I just can't think of his name right this second. The AD that Tennessee fired just a couple of months ago, or not uh, a year or so ago. Curry. Yeah. Thank you, John Curry. Um. Not great leadership, and a couple of bad coaching hires. Well, and, and it really goes the, back to Mike Hamilton before that. Well, Curry it was just the process, right? The whole thing was a circus. It was. Um, so so you go from Dooley to Butch Jones to now Jeremy Pruitt, and it feels like Tennessee probably is about to enter an era of some stability, at least at that spot, with that job. So when you look at the jobs and you compare them, look, Neyland Stadium still seats 100,000. Bad years when Tennessee was way, way down. Way, way down. Neyland Stadium looked terrible because it seats 100,000 and there are only 57,000 people in there or 61,000 people there. That's basically a packed house in Oxford and in Starkville. And so the upside there is so much bigger for revenue opportunities in football. And that's partially because there's not another school in the state. Like Vanderbilt doesn't really count because private school, different situation, obviously different level of football program. But like, I, we all, I feels like whenever we have some a discussion related to this, we always go back to the one school thing. But like, don't you think if it was Tennessee was like placed in Mississippi and it was the one school, it'd probably be a hundred thousand seat stadium. Well, yeah. I mean, if if Ole Miss and Mississippi State combined were one school, then even if it's not a hundred thousand seat stadium, it's probably an eighty five thousand seat stadium. It looks like like. Jordan Hare at Auburn, or, or something along those lines. Or Isn't Fayetteville. that a big factor as to why it's a better job? Less like I'm, I'm talking recruiting, not just stadium, obviously, like recruiting competition stuff like that. Well, here, the one thing that I would say about that is the state of Mississippi is a better and more for, fertile recruiting ground than the state of Tennessee, or at least it has been. Now, as Nashville continues to grow, the state of Tennessee continues to grow. Maybe somewhere along the way that changes. I don't think it does. I don't think high school football gets better in Tennessee than it is in Mississippi. The difference is size. I mean, the state of Tennessee is almost twice as, or maybe it is twice as big population-wise as as the state of Mississippi. Uh, You've got one major city in Nashville, a second major city if you want to include Memphis. Chattanooga is a big city. Uh, Is Chattanooga comparable in size to Jackson? It kind of feels like it. I've been to Chattanooga a couple of times. You're asking a larger version of a crowd size guess. And- yeah, you're terrible at that. Sorry. Uh, so, 179,000 in Chattanooga proper. So, yeah, it's basically Jackson. Okay. So the biggest city in the state of Mississippi is comparable to, like, the third or fourth or probably the either fourth or fifth biggest city in the state of Tennessee. Um. So you've got bigger markets, and the tradition and the national perception matters. So, yeah, you don't have the same recruiting base, and people can absolutely poke fun at Tennessee for some of the jobs that they've made, but Tennessee is a national brand in football. That big orange tee on the side of the white helmet, that big orange tee that's painted on the field, the power tee that they march up and down, the, the boats on the river, the Vol Navy, all of those things are, are things that are recognized nationally at a higher level than cowbells or sharks <laughs> or whatever the mascot of the day is. 
I still contend that they should every year. If Ole Miss really wants to get the mascot thing right, you let the upcoming senior class vote on what next year's mascot is. Make it completely random off the wall. Just make make a complete joke out of it, and it would be hilarious. There's how you fix the mascot issue. Just let the students vote for it every year. Uh, but that's a, that's a, those are all really good points. My question is, since I think we're all in agreement, Tennessee right now still has a better job than Ole Miss and Mississippi State. That doesn't mean that they've had better recent success, but the job itself is better. Consensus. How close is it? Because, and I've made this argument before, you've heard me say this before, I think there's a direct correlation in the rise of television, specifically the SEC Network as well lately, but the rise of television and the catching up of programs like Ole Miss and Mississippi State to programs like Tennessee. Because Tennessee does not produce a high level of high school prospects. It's, it's a program that's been able to kind of poach nationally, and they're having a harder time doing that now because resources and accessibility in places like Mississippi are far better than they used to be even just 10 years ago. So how close is the gap now? Forky, I think it's a good point, and it's one that I've made uh, a bunch of times over the years that it's, it's, it's kind of a math thing. And you know I'm not a math guy. But the impact of the SEC network on Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, um, you know, whoever you want to consider small, Missouri in, in today's is bigger and it's more important than the impact on Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, LSU, Texas A&M. Why? because it still makes up a larger percentage of the budget. So the, the impact of a $40 million check from Ole Miss or, or from the SEC to Ole Miss is 40% of the budget, give or take. And so instead of a $60 million budget, you got a $100 million budget. Well, if Tennessee's got a $120 million budget and they get a $40 million check, it's now a $160 million budget. It's just not as big a percentage, and therefore I don't think it has as big an impact. I think it's a really good point, and and I think the money generated by the SEC network and the television contracts and the increased bowl revenue has had a bigger positive impact and has therefore allowed the gap to be closed between some traditional powers, not named Alabama, and Ole Miss and Mississippi State that probably wouldn't have been an option otherwise. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. That's your college football fix. I'm not knocking it because I guess you just do whatever works for you. I'm wondering if Kentucky has to travel in addition to their bus with like a an extra truck with a, you know, like a U-Haul truck to haul all of their gear. They have, they had at one point three pitching machines Lined up outside the dugout, a couple of massive nets, about 50 tees and whatever else. I just, I remember when John Cohen was at Kentucky. They were a little unorthodox in the way they did infield and batting practice or whatever, and and I thought that was just a John Cohen thing because he was one of those guys that tended to do things a little bit differently. It's just weird going to a basement. It's like, man, get at the fungos and hit fly balls and hit ground balls. You, you don't have to have a pitching machine to throw ground balls and shoot fly balls to your outfield when you're warming it. It just feels very non-baseball. The fungo? No, the pitching machines to shoot fly balls at instead of hitting fly balls with a fungo bat. Oh. I don't know. 
It's like a T-shirt cannon on steroids. It's kind of cool. Oh, I, I'm not saying that a pitching machine is not cool. Just saying nobody else does that. Does that mean Kentucky's smarter than everybody else? Hmm. Or they just are like anti-tradition? The DeChambeau of the SEC. Something along those lines. But, again, it started when John Cohen was there. He was walking around in batting practice with a whistle around his neck. Who uses the whistle during baseball practice? Nobody. It's a football-basketball practice thing. Just an observation. Uh, Here's another observation for you. Game time change tomorrow for Ole Miss baseball. So instead of a 7 o'clock game, the game will be at 1 o'clock. Again, trying to kind of hit that weather window and hope that they can sneak a game in between uh, thunderstorms tomorrow. We'll see if they're able to pull that off or not. Richard Cross, Brian Scott Rippey, Michael Borky, glad to have you along this afternoon. Give you a uh, little Masters leaderboard update. Did you see what just happened to Tiger, by the way? Clearly no. Tell it. So he, he hooks his ball into the trees and punches out on 13. Ends up making birdie. Okay. No, he made a par on 13. All right. Then I've got my holes backwards. Anyway, he hits the ball into the trees, and right after he punches out, he starts walking. And you see just from the right side of the screen, somebody slide in and take out his his ankles. It was a security guard running after somebody, trying to stop them from getting in his way, slipped and fell, and took out his ankles. And Tiger, just now on his tee shot, after he swung, picked up his leg as if his ankle was hurting him. A security guard slipped and tripped into Tiger Woods as he was walking, hit his ankle, and now injured him. I'm going to bet it's the classic. I saw, just saw a clip. I'm going to bet it's the classic golf guy. Like, I'm not really hurt, but I'm going to milk this. You think? Here comes a security guard. Whoop! Slips. He barely even touched Oh, him. come on. You yeah, can't get hurt off of that. Don't be a pansy, Tiger. <laughs> come on, man. You used to train with the Navy SEALs. So, he won a major with one ACL. I think he can manage. Well, so you got, you, you've got the, the rope. The, the gallery is closing in around him. It's slick because it's been raining. Dude goes down, and he kicks Tiger in the right ankle. Now, if this were soccer, there'd be stretchers. Oh, can you imagine? If it was soccer, though, Tyler, uh, Tiger would have dived into the mud. That he was he direct, would still be rolling around and writhing in pain. This is a direct microaggression at Borky. Oh, no, no, I, I cannot stand it. I love soccer, but spe- uh, specifically USA soccer. I don't watch, like, the Euro Leagues and stuff. I just watch the United States. But, for example, they had a game, I think it was against Peru, uh, a few weeks back. And I kept thinking to myself, do you not have any pride as a man to sit there and not get touched and flail around like a fish out of water, and then the second you get the call or whatever, you pop back up and just run. It's the Neymar guy. That's, I know he's not American. I, I know that much. But, like, he was the one that really brought that to the limelight at the World Cup, right? Like, he was out of control. It's embarrassing. Anytime they could potentially get touched, they scream and cry and roll around and just, oh, and then, and then yeah, they pop back on. up and run. Uh, you lost me in your soccer talk, but this might be the greatest tweet of all time. Kyle Porter at CBS Golf Writer uh, responding to the video. 
He says, Tiger never ran through this scenario in the kill house, apparently. <laughs> Ooh. That is a top-shelf, fantastic tweet going back to Tiger's training days with the Seals, right? Which kind of derailed his career. Among. Well, I mean, there were other things. Other things, certainly. Uh, as I said, let's go to the leaderboard for a, uh, a Masters update. Francesco Molinari, Jason Day, Brooks Kepka, and Adam Scott all at 7-under. So Scott got it to 8-under. He had a, uh, a bogey on, after an eagle on 15, he bogeyed 16, parred 17. So he is headed to the 18th hole, currently tied for the lead. That's the group at 7-under par. Then at 6-under par, Dustin Johnson, Justin Harding, three guys at 5-under, including Ian Poulter. Tiger Woods and John Rahm. How would you like to see a pairing of Big Cat and Poults on Saturday? Would they play nice together? I actually think they would kind of weirdly get along. Yeah, Tiger seems also a lot more relaxed than, than he used to be. He's much more approachable and much so. I think he honestly, I think all of that embarrassment in his personal life for that long actually made him more comfortable in his own skin. I think he was more uncomfortable in his own skin before all of that, and I think that's what led to it. And that was psychoanalyzing Tiger Woods. Do you, do you think that it's because for his entire life he's been kind of socially awkward? Yeah, 100%. And, like, he didn't exactly have a normal childhood. No. But now he's like, I'm Tiger Woods. Like, basically, I mean, like, I feel like he can fall back on that and just kind of like, you know, I, I don't care. Like, yeah. I, for 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 all of the greatness that Earl Woods gets a lot of credit for, I think a lot of the fault that goes along with Tiger also has to be placed on the shoulders of Earl Woods. He 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 robbed. Now he created arguably the greatest golfer of all time, but he also robbed his son of any sense of normalcy in his entire life. But it was different than, like, the Marinovich-type deal to where, like, I don't think Tiger's dad necessarily, like, had the kid doing protein shakes and stuff like that. But to your point, it was just the behavior that went on when they were together, I guess, at times. Yeah. It's a fascinating... Now, it also appears as if it was a good relationship there as well. I mean, Tiger was the unique personality that by all accounts maybe it's because it's all he ever knew but he wanted to be pushed and he wanted he he was driven as well and obviously there was a a great deal of respect between the two of them in in the later years if he wins another major it's probably the greatest sports comeback story of all time what what would what would rival it i can't even begin it to would have been one. lance armstrong but that got derailed by ped use yeah, Lance Armstrong was the greatest story in sports for a decade. I mean, three different types of cancer should have been dead multiple times. Came back and won multiple Tour de France's. I mean, that that was just incredible. And it turns out Except he was the whole thing was a fraud. Yeah, not the cancer part, but the winning the races part. Right. Other than that, doping and cycling is a wild, wild concept. Like, what do you, you think they dope in chess? Well, we did a story, remember a few weeks ago? We it was Oh, uh, they were doping in chess. That's where I got that from. It, I it guess. wasn't chess, it was bridge. Yeah, that's what it was. Richard, you were off that day. There was a, a story in the no, Washington Post. No, no, I wasn't. I, I, I vividly remember that. 
I, I was poking all kinds of fun about it. Either that, or we, or this is there was another story because I remember us talking about the International Bridge Association <laughs> drug testing their athletes. Yeah. What did they find in dodgeball? Can you find a low-grade beaver tranquilizer and a bridge player? <laughs> Goodness gracious. Great movie. Will Tiger win again as a major champion? Well, if the security guard didn't win this shatter week. his ankle, then yeah, he'd have won this week. I don't know about fault. this week. I lean yes, though. The way he's playing and the way he's consistently playing and swinging and healthy and it's not wearing down his body, like, I guess there's a chance where he just kind of gets unlucky and it never all kind of falls into line. But he's definitely playing at a level where it's certainly more possible. And two years ago, you know, I would have said absolutely not. Can the intimidation factor return, or is that gone forever? No, golf's changed so much. These kids aren't scared of anybody, and I don't think it's just because Tiger hasn't been relevant, quote-unquote, for a while. I just think the kids, like... The guys growing up now are wired differently. I think that's partly because of Tiger, too. I was going to say, they learned to play in the way that they watched him play, which is pretty fascinating. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.